Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you use all circumstances to your glory and for our good. We pray that we would be ever mindful of this and rejoice in the goodness that you work in our lives. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. You probably noticed this morning that I changed up the gospel lesson a tiny bit. Well, quite a bit. (laughs) And it's because something that Jesus says in these first four verses of of John chapter 11 are really profound and important, but if we don't stop and think about them, they can kind of seem unkind or strange or even hurtful. And so I really wanted to slow down this morning and just think about these first four verses and what they talk about our walk in Christ. I was talking about all of chapter 11 this past week with with George, and I'm not picking on you too much, George, or at all, actually, as the case may be. I'll I'll save that for later. (laughs) And, And as we talked about it, the more and more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is something that really ought to be unpacked. And particularly because it directly affects Julie and I right now. This morning, I want to talk about our pregnancy. Because what Jesus says is beautiful in the context of what we've been going through. I'm not going to talk about it so that you can feel bad for me or us or so that we seem really amazing and, you know, you should... Be like us. It's not not anything along that lines. But because in talking about it, I hope that you can see the beautiful and good thing that the Lord is doing. Many of you know kind of the whole story, but for those of you who don't know the story, I'm going to unpack at least some of it for you. As many of you know, about four months ago, we went for what should have been a normal quick visit to our midwife. And as she went for the little Doppler thing, if you remember that, she couldn't find the baby's heartbeat, which was a little alarming, but she assured us, no, no, that's pretty normal at this stage in the pregnancy. Don't, don't worry too, too much. But since we're here, we'll pop you on the ultrasound and just double check. And popped on the ultrasound, got a cute little picture of baby and went back to see her. And of course, we heard the heartbeat strong as could be. The midwife came back in and pointed out something that she found troubling on the, on the ultrasound. It was what appeared to be a little halo on top of baby's head. At the time, we had no idea what this called, but in the last few months, we've learned way more about lots of things than we ever really wanted to know and learned that baby at that point had a cystic hygroma, which points towards some sort of genetic abnormality. Things got worse after that. Someone kindly put us up in a hotel down in Phoenix so that we could go to a 7 o'clock appointment. And we went in for what I believe was the longest ultrasound in the history of the world. We sat there, and of course, it didn't help that I had a head cold coming on. And we saw the baby as they looked over it for, for what seemed like forever. We heard the heartbeat, which I swear sounds still to this day like a train. We had a bit of time between the ultrasound and when we got to finally see the doctor. So we had breakfast and we 
tried to stay calm and not be apprehensive. And the doctor finally called us in after waiting for what seemed like an eternity, though it was probably just two or three hours. And she started with the statement, I need you to know it's not your fault. Let me tell you, if you have, hear that statement from a doctor, what's coming after is not going to be a good thing. And the doctor listed off a list of what seemed like an incredibly long amount of abnormalities and liked to use the phrase not compatible with life. She thought, well, this is probably what's called trisomy 13, which is an extra 13th chromosome. She asked if we wanted to do more genetic testing, and we said, sure, we might as well because we're already here, which made our day, long day, even longer. The next day, we got a call from several people informing us that it was not trisomy 13, but trisomy 21. And at the weeks that followed, we got genetic test after genetic test after genetic test confirming trisomy 21. Now, most of you probably don't know what trisomy 21 is, but those of you who know our story knows that it's Down syndrome, which is a substantially better diagnosis than the initial diagnosis. It's still been hard, it's still been painful and difficult to navigate, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. This morning, we have a similar situation, a little different, of course, but we learn that a friend of Jesus, that is Lazarus, is ill. As we read on, if we had read more of chapter 11, we would have learned that he was critically ill, on his deathbed, if you will. And there's another important point that comes out in this first chapter. It's that Lazarus lives in this town of Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem. So that the sisters asking for him to come and heal the brother, it's a big deal because at, by now in John's gospel account, Jesus is a wanted man. So to go to Jerusalem, he would have had to risk his life. And so Jesus learns this bad and heartbreaking news and needs to decide what to do. One of my favorite stories about saints comes from this woman, St. Teresa of Avail. I've heard at least two versions. My favorite is that she's riding a horse across the stream and she falls off, gets up and is mad at God. And is like, why do you do these things? And God responds to her, well, this is how I treat my friends. To which she responds, no wonder you have so few friends. <laughs> the other is simply that she was praying about her travails and had that same conversation with God. Either way, we know that walking with God can feel hard at times, whether it be that of Martha and Mary and Lazarus or Julie and I or some travail that you have faced in your life or will inevitably face. It can be hard and it flies in the face of that sort of good old fashioned American equation of you work hard and you're a decent person, you're going to be successful. This is a good idea. Work hard, be a decent person, makes you a good citizen. But that doesn't guarantee that your life will be easy. And unfortunately, this mindset often seeps into our theology. At the extreme end of this is what is commonly called the prosperity gospel. And it's built on this promise. It's built on the promise that if you do good works, have right faith, have the right mindset, send your checks to the right place, 
you're going to have a good personal income. I found a quote from one of these pastors. I'm not going to tell you who he is so you don't go and look him up. But he says something along this lines. The more you talk about negative things in your life, the more you call them in. Speak victory, he says, not defeat. In other words, if you speak victory in your life, everything's just going to be fine as kind. And this goes, they go so far as to say when bad things happen in your life, it must be the result of some lack of faith. Now, let's be clear. Yes, sin can cause you personal pain. If you get really drunk and fall down the stairs and break your leg, that's because you got really drunk and fell down the stairs. But that's not the only reason that pain happens in our life. And this passage that we read, this little tiny passage that we read this morning, as well as what we read last week from John chapter 9, and the entire book of Job, of course, blows a hole in the, in the prosperity gospel idea. No, bad things do happen sometimes, but that's not the end all of it. We were never promised an easy life. And in fact, what blows a hole in this is that we read that Mary would be the one that would anoint Jesus with expensive ointment, washing his feet with her hair. And it might be tempting to say, well, you know, that happens after this, but Jesus knows her faith. He knows who she is. And yet he allows this to happen for her, to her, for a reason. It might be tempting to wonder, well, knowing this, why does Jesus allow this to happen to her? Why does it, Jesus allow suffering to happen to his people? Why has Jesus allowed Julie and I to go through the last four months? For now, I want to give just a simple response and say, I think if this is the question that you're asking, you are asking the wrong question. But for now, I'm going to make you wait. I will give you a better question soon, I promise. As we learned more about our sweet butternut, as we call our baby, we prayed. We asked others to pray. People have come out. In fact, I got a card this morning from a friend from college that I have not talked to since I graduated or since she graduated college the year before me. I'm not going to do the math right now. But it was a long time ago, to say the least. Just telling us that her and her husband are praying for us. People around our country, if not around the world, have been praying for our sweet baby. That they would continue to heal. <clears throat> Even the hardest hearted, hardest hearted of cynics wants someone to reach out to when hard things fall. But for us as Christians, we turn to Christ and we cry out. My friends, whether you are in Christ this morning or are running from him, know that Christ is eager to be the shepherd of your soul. Whether it is that you feel as though you are passing through the valley of darkness or passing into the, into the green pasture, that he promises. He wants to shepherd your soul. And the sisters know that. And so they send a message to them. In reality, they, they simply pray, Lord, 
he, that is Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. They prayed. We pray. But it is a mystery what the Lord is doing. For us, there have been moments of incredible encouragement. But for as many moments as encouragement, there have been moments of fierce tears. Some good friends of ours came over the other night and we sat and we talked for a long time. These friends of ours had been through something incredibly painful a year or so ago. And as we talked, my friend said to me, you know, everything is going to be okay. And at first I was shocked that he would say this because he is a close friend and I know his theology well enough to know that on the surface reading of what he said, he doesn't believe it. But then he explained. He explained, yes, there's deep grief. Yes, he still cries weekly, if not more. But God is still sovereign. God is still good. God is still loving. God is still kind. And this is what we've experienced as well. Yes, there's been deep grief. But we know that God is in control of this situation. He is sovereign over everything, even the minutest of details. Yes, God is still good. This doesn't change his goodness at all. God still loves Julie and I and Butternut and Lucy deeper than we will ever know. God is still kind to us. Charles Simeon says this in another way. He is the great Anglican preacher for those of you who don't know. He writes, we are sure that he designs, that is God designs nothing but good for his own peculiar people even when he appears most regardless of their supplications. Mary and Martha sent word. They wanted their brother to be made well, and they wanted him to be made well then. And they knew that if it was the Lord's will, he could do that. We have prayed, and so many of you and others have prayed with us. We know that he is not regardless to us, despite the dreadful days. To put this another way, the line that St. Julian of, or Blessed Julian of Norwich said, all will be well, all manner of things shall be well. She says this in an apocalyptic vision that she had, reminding all that serve God that all will be well, all things will be made well in the end. We are reminded that no matter what it feels like today, we serve a good God who is preparing us and you for his kingdom. Jesus responds, this illness does not lead to death for it is for the glory of God, glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified through it. Of course, if you were here last week, and I know many of you were home because of all the snow, this statement echoes that from chapter 9. And it can be a hard idea to come to grips with. But it can also point us to the necessity of suffering well. Not only point us to that necessity, but make it possible that we do it. When Christians 
face hardships, whether it be a baby being ill, a friend or a loved one dying, some horrible medical diagnosis, or some other thing that you may or have faced in this life. This doesn't make it any harder, but it gives us a better question than why me? Some of those better questions might include, what is God doing here? This one might be a hard one to sue south in the moment, but eventually you may see God's hand at work. Another question is, how is God being glorified? And this is a question that I've hung on to, especially in the harder days. And the prayer that goes with it is simply, God, please use this hard thing for your glory. Many of you have not been privy to the conversations that I've had over the last four months. The tears that Julie and I have wept, though I'm sure you imagine, the heartache and laughter that we've shared together and with some of you. But this morning, I wanted to share just a little sliver of it so that you can see that God is working in this. God is being glorified even in the deep mystery of these days. My friends, through this hardship, God has been glorified by making our faith and marriage stronger. Through this hardship, God has been glorified as he's brought encouragement and healing towards others. Through this hardship, God has been glorified by opening doors for us to have and share in joy amidst the struggle. Through this hardship, God has taught us to hold all things loosely. Through this hardship, God has reminded us in a deep way of the incredible value of human life. Through this hardship, I am more certain today that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is kind, and God is loving. This week ended moderately well as we received some fairly good news. We received news that baby is at least currently adapting to the circumstances in Julie's womb. But at the same time, we know that this coming week could be different. This coming week could continue to be good or it could be bad. But we don't rest our hats on that. We rest our hats on God's goodness. Our baby will be born with Down syndrome. We know that even in the womb, our baby has much to overcome. But even in these last 16 weeks, we know for a fact that God is working an amazing thing. God is knitting together someone in Julie's belly who's fearfully and wonderfully made. We trust that God will be glorified in this. Today, I am more sure than I was yesterday that God uses our hardships, that we may become stronger in him, and that he may be glorified and that his kingdom would grow. My friends, if I am sure of one thing, I am sure that this sickness is for his glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of our